Introduction to Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, if the book stopped there, it would be a wonderful story. It would be a great story. It would be an all's well that ends well story. It actually is an all's well that ends well story when you finally get to the end of it. But the rest of what we're about to get into in this book becomes a very interesting story of a man and his suffering and his questioning and his soul searching as he goes through circumstances that just make no sense to him. As I thought about doing the book of Job, and if you'll be honest, I think some of your reactions were the same as when I thought about doing the book of Job. We look at the book of Job, and there are certain books in the Bible that are just long, they're difficult, and they're often the victim of oversimplification, of selective attention, of sometimes being outright disregarded and neglected. Job's one of those books. How many messages have you heard out of the book of Job that didn't come from the first two or the last two chapters? I thought about that as I went through and I started studying this book. And some of you said you're reading this book, and that's going to be a wonderful thing because I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning as we go through the introduction. But for most people, Job chapter 1 and 2, that, that wonderful story of what God does and what God's doing and why God's doing it, and then chapters 41 and 42 near the end of the book when you see how God brings it all together it's a wonderful story but we get into the rest of those dialogues and they're long they go round and round sometimes you ever have a friend who you knew was talking just because they wanted to hear themselves talk and it really wasn't anything that you wanted to hear you kind of feel like that as you're going through the middle chapters of the book of Job sometime so we got to figure out why is this book here What are we going to do with it? How are we going to learn from this book? The book of Job ribbits our attention on what it means to work through God's providence and sovereignty. The two big things you're going to see in this book. When you think of the book of Job, what is the word that almost always comes to mind? Suffering. Can I tell you that's not the heart of the book? Now, not that Job didn't suffer. He did. But the heart of this book is God's providence and God's sovereignty. Big words. God's providence, God's divine care for us in our lives. Every day of our lives. Every day that we walk through. God's sovereignty. The fact that God is in control. And this book is going to go back to that again and again. But if you know that God is sovereign, and you know that God is providentially helping you in your life, then why do bad things happen to good people? You know, we think about that, but have you ever talked to somebody and tried to witness to somebody, and they say, well, I just can't believe in a God that would allow, and then they list all these painful, terrible things happening. And Job is going to have to deal with these things as we go through the book of Job. The case study that we're looking at here looks into the mind and soul of somebody confronted with perplexing and devastating circumstances. He's forced to wrestle with the workings of God's sovereignty when it certainly seems to us that it's unfair. Remember the first chapter of Job? We're going to get into it next week. But as we read through that chapter, you know, Satan comes to God and he's, he's accusing God's people. And it's amazing and frightening at the same time when God looks and says, have you considered my servant Job? I'm sure Job would have been just as happy not to have been considered. Because what's about to happen is a trial in Job's life like nothing he's ever experienced. And my hope in this study, number one, is that we will engender a clearer understanding for what this book really teaches. Chapters probably beginning in chapter 3 and running through 35 chapters after that are dialogues that we normally don't get into. 
Now, I'm not going to go verse by verse by verse through every dialogue, but we're going to look at them. Because what we're going to find in these dialogues is there are many people who have the right heart but the wrong head. They think they know what God's doing. They think they know how God works, but they've got it wrong. And in our lives, often we get in trouble when we think we know how God ought to be doing things. And sometimes don't we get on our knees and tell him how he ought to be doing things? Instead of getting online with how God is doing things. And that's where we're going to find Job as we look through these things. Secondly, I hope it will give you a fresh appreciation for the relevance of this book. Job is about the nature of life. It's about the nature of man. But more importantly, it's about the nature of God. Who God is. And that's going to be interesting as we look at, when was this book written? Who wrote this book? And how did they know as much about God as they did? So we'll look at that as we go through some of these things. The book of Job is practical. It's also one of the theological mountains of the Old Testament. There are many, many things in the book of Job that will take you a little bit of time to get your mind around. That's why a lot of people avoid them. When you're reading in the Old Testament, you start your Bible reading every year. And where do most of us start our Bible reading every year? Genesis. And Genesis is a great book. There's great theology in Genesis. There's a lot of great stories in Genesis. And if we're doing really well, we make it to Exodus. But what happens when we get to Leviticus? It's not as interesting to us, is it? And we lose interest sometimes and then don't follow through on what we ought to do in reading of the scriptures. And in Job, if you're not careful, you'll read Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, and somewhere in Job chapter 3 or 4, you're going to lose interest. And you're going to pick it back up in Job chapter 41, and you're going to miss many of the truths that God wants to teach us out of this book. So we're going to look at some of these things as we get into this book of Job. What's the best preparation for this? With all of these difficulties, what is the best preparation for getting into this study? I'm going to ask you to do something. Some of you are going to look at me like I'm crazy pretty soon. But the best preparation for going through the book of Job is a fresh familiarity with the story of Job. The whole story of Job. Not just chapter 1 and 2. Not just chapter 41 and 42. But the whole story. I would like to encourage you to sit down and read the book of Job. Now some of you have told me you're doing that. And I'm excited that you're doing that. Can I challenge you to do something? And this is where you're going to think I've lost my mind. Pick up the book of Job this week and read it cover to cover. 42 chapters. Probably won't take you more than about, you can read it casually in about two hours. But you will get a new picture and a fresh appreciation of what's going on in the book of Job if you'll do that. Not only that, but I want you to read it sympathetically. And I took some of these things out of a uh, commentary that I was given by uh, Messers when they were here, so I want you to know that this morning. As I looked at some of these things, I read through this, and I thought, wow, this is great. I want to share this with you. So it's in a book. It's called Beyond Suffering, and that's where many of these principles this morning are going to be found. The rest of the messages aren't going to come from the book. But some of this stuff did because I looked at it, and I said, God just really got a hold of my heart. And he said, here, read it sympathetically, because Job is primarily a dramatic story. It's a dialogue. It's a story about someone's life. And even as you get in these chapters with all these discussions, it's Job and his friends trying to figure out why life has treated them the way it has. Mostly treated him the way it has. And so we need to get into it. There's intense feeling in this. You need to feel what's there. And secondly, as you read it, read it in a different version. I know some of you you go, did he just say that from the pulpit? The reason I want you to think about doing that, again, if you don't read it in a different version, I'm not going to call you down from the pulpit. But the reason is we get so familiar sometimes with the stories of Scripture that our brain turns off and we are 
Not all of us, but I'll admit to I'm intellectually lazy sometimes. And I know what it says, and I skim through it, and I don't pick it up. But when it's written in a slightly different way, suddenly things stand out that didn't stand out before. Suddenly things I misunderstood or possibly just missed come out, and I hear those things, and I see those things. So read it in a different version so you can acquaint yourself with this story on a totally new level. And as you read the discourses, as you get in chapters 3 through about 38, and I'm by faith, thinking you're going to read the discourses. Read those discourses, and this is what I'd like you to do. Go through and write or pick out one, two, or maybe three verses in those long discourses that say, this is what he's talking about. A lot of the rest of it is support, but if you can figure out what they're talking about, why they're talking about it, there are theological truths that it's going to teach us about God and the way he works. If you can pick up those things as you do that, and then if you've got time, if you've really got time, then summarize what they said in your own words. Just a couple sentences. What did that chapter say? Because I know what's going to happen. I, I know it's happened to me. You start reading chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and you start getting blurry-eyed. And you start thinking, wow, is this guy ever going to stop? And they go on and on. And this section here, in these sections, it's, it's Hebrew poetry. So it's not an easy thing to get a hold of. But as you go through and you pick up these books, if you take the time to think through enough to say, what did he just say? And write it down. It'll help you get a picture of what's going on here in this book. So read it. Read it sympathetically. Read it in a different version. Take time to summarize what you're seeing in these passages and see what God will do for you as you get into it. Now, the nature of the book. What kind of a book is this? Almost everybody, as I said earlier, is familiar with the opening two chapters. Everything that happens before God with Satan and then what happens to Job afterwards. And then we kind of lose interest from there. Once we make it into the long-winded and circular debates of Job and his companions, our interest begins to wane. It gets a little bit too much. And so we just quit. And then the persevering reader will dutifully plod through those 35 chapters, somehow getting to the end of them and wondering, what did they just say? And we don't want to do that. We don't want that to be a part of it. And then you get to the end of the, ch- the book and God's appearance kind of revives our attention a little bit, although it's not easy to figure out what God's saying there. And then all's well that ends well in the last chapter as Job gets everything put back together in his life as God blesses him in a wonderful way. And we love that chapter, but is that all that God intends us to get out of the book of Job? Does God really intend for us to get into this book and say, Satan came before God. God said, if you consider my servant Job, he's righteous, he loves me, he's a good man. And Satan said, well, you only that, that way because, you know, you've done so many good things for him. Take your hand off him, let me have a hold of him, and I'll show you that he'll curse you to your face. And Job, though he questions, he never curses God. And he gets to the end of all this, and God blesses him. But is that all there is for us in this book? There's 42 chapters. Is there anything else in this book that we need to get a hold of? If so, why and how are we going to get it? You know, and is chapter 3 through chapter 35 of this book just to see if you've got enough self-discipline to get through the book? Did God put that in there to say, we'll find out who's really got their act together and who doesn't? If that's not the case, then what is there that God has us for us to get out of this book? Not just a few chapters of this book. But all of this book, I challenge you as you get into this book this week to read it and see what may be there that might change your heart and life. It's a book that's rich in theological truths. 
We don't think about that because we miss most of them because those theological truths are found in the Hebrew poetry of those discussions, and we miss much of it because we usually don't spend much time reading it. But there's theological truths that are deep in this book. It's also like more like a novel than it is a theological book. It's written like a novel. It's about somebody's life and story. Now, there's a lot of talk in that novel, but it traces the growth and transformation of Job from point A to point B and everything God does in between. And so it's a great opportunity for us to see in a man's life the unfolding drama of how does he come to grips with what God is doing in his life when it doesn't seem fair. Now, the author and the date of the book. Who's the author of the book of Job? Who can tell me who the author of the book of Job is? Uh, some of them think Moses. Uh, unknown. Some think that. Some think Solomon, Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, even Elihu, the man who does chapter 32 through 38. Maybe he wrote the whole book. The, the basic idea at the end of it is we don't know who wrote the book. God didn't tell us who wrote the book. Now, the book has been accepted in the Hebrew scriptures for centuries, but we don't know who wrote it. Now, not only do we not know who wrote it, but we don't know when it was written. We could kind of figure out the time frame about when it was written, but was it written then? Again, was it written in the time of Moses and that patri- or, that, or even before him in the patriarchal period? That's kind of where it fits. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Or was it written, some think it was written with the other wisdom letters later in the, in the era, of so- era of Solomon. But again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who wrote it. It doesn't matter when it was written. What matters is what does it say to you and to me? What are we going to do with it? We could spend time figuring it out. I read several commentaries and finally enjoyed what I was reading because most of them said the same thing. We don't know and it doesn't matter. But let's get into the book and find out what it says. So that's what we're going to do as we get in through these things. The historical setting of the book. This book is a unique book in the scriptures. Job was a native probably of northern Arabia. We look at Job and we automatically think, well, Job was Jewish, right? Probably not. When you look at this, he was probably Arab and in northern Arabia because of the setting that we see here and several different things. And nevertheless, his friends, before the time of the writing of the Torah and everything, know an incredible amount about God. How, do, how, how did they know that? It's evidence to us that God revealed himself in very specific ways to man, even before the scriptures were given. You have people like Melchizedek and Abimelech, and even Pharaoh, who knew things about God because God revealed those things to him outside of the scriptures. And so as we get into Job, we realize there's some very ancient thought about God in this book. Who God is, how God works, how he maneuvers, and what's happening in lives. There are several elements in this story that point to that patriarchal period, which I believe that's probably where this happened. This was the time of Job was before any of the law was given, all that. Number one, because when you look at that, there are no references in this book. In all 42 chapters, there's no references to the Israelites, Moses, or the law. Anywhere. So it's probably an indication that it was written, or at least it took place, before that stuff was in place. The economy is agricultural. Wealth is measured in livestock. If you read chapter 1, verse 3, that if you were wealthy, you had a lot of animals. A family priest structure predominates in verse 5. Job is offering sacrifices for his family members. So it's before 
The system was set up with the priest in Israel and all that was going on there. On top of that, Job's longevity, if you look at chapter 42, verse 16, and we'll get there later, but it fits with the time of the patriarchs. And even the words that he uses in Hebrew for God here fits with that patriarchal period. What do we know about the literary setting in this book? This book is interesting because it's unlike, again, most books in the Old Testament. It has dialogue, chapters 1, 2, 41, and 42. It has Hebrew prose and poetry, a lot of Hebrew poetry. In fact, the reason we struggle so much with the dialogues, because they're written in Hebrew poetry. And so in order to understand those, you've got to understand a little bit about it. And we'll talk about a little bit about the Hebrew poetry as we get there. But there are some significant truths if we only understand what God's trying to tell us with what's going on here. And so this literature is a rich literature. But what I really want to spend the time on this morning, before we finish, we hear about the fact right here, we look at the thing is, what is the core message of this book? Is it all about suffering and why we suffer? That's in there. Is it about God's vindication of a righteous man? Well, that's in there too. But the core of the comfort of the message of Job is the idea that we serve a God, even in the midst of suffering and pain and loss, who is an all-knowing and omnipotent God. God knows what you're going through today. You ever feel like he doesn't? You ever feel like God has kind of forgotten you? Job's going to get there. As we look through this book, even in his faith in God, there's times when he wonders, you know, where is God? What is God doing? Why doesn't he feel close? We find here that God is sovereign and free to do as he chooses. God is sovereign. God's in control. Nothing happens in our life by just happenstance. You know, I, I, never try, I try never to tell people, well, good luck with that. Because I don't believe in good luck. God's in control. And God's moving in our lives. And we're going to see this in this book. God's always, always good and always just. And Job's going to get challenged on that. Do you ever wonder if God is really as good as you thought he was when something happens to you that doesn't make sense to you? Well, we would never say God's not good, but does it ever feel like God wasn't as good as you thought he was going to be? This is going to get handled in this book as we go through it. God is loving and wise. And you wonder, even as you look at chapter 1, really? Would you want God to have said, you know, have you considered my servant and put your name in there? Will you see what happens to Job next? And yet God is loving, God is wise, and God's in control of all that's happening in his life. And God is purposeful and perfect in all that he chooses to do or to allow. God's got a purpose in it. God never gets to the middle of working in our lives and say, whoops, how did that happen? He's got a purpose. And you look at Job and you say, how did that happen? God had a purpose from start to finish. And the reason that that's comfort in our, in our lives with that message is God has a purpose in our lives from start to finish. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. Now, God knows. God has a purpose as he makes you be, to become more like his son, as he moves you through this idea of sanctification. And God is working in such a way that we may not understand it, but we can trust it because of who God is. Because he's sovereign, because he's benevolent, because he does what is right. And one of the biggest things we need to take away from this book as we look at it is God is the center of all life, not us. Well, of course. Well, you could say that, but do we live that way? You know, we, sometimes we get the idea that the universe revolves around us, not around God. God can do what he wants with your life and with mine. He can do it in a just way, 
He could do it in a loving way. He could do it in a good way. But it may not feel good to us as it's happening all the time. And so as we look at Job, we need to realize God's still in control. God hasn't lost control. He's never lost control. And even in the midst of suffering, God has our best in mind. The book of Job is another interesting book because it's full of full core debate. Some of you like to debate out there. I know some of you do because you bring up stuff all the time. You're talking about it's a book full of debate. Not only is it full of debate, but it is full of intense discussion, hot discussions. When you read this, take a look at the way Job and his friends talk with one another. They're passionate about what they're saying. Not only that, but it's a book about personal suffering and searching. It's a book about why. Why is this happening? And the question is going to be, how much of an answer does God owe us when it comes to the wise? If God is sovereign, if God is benevolent, if God is making things happen in our lives in such a way that it's according to his plan, how much of an explanation does he owe you and does he owe me? And he's going to talk to Job about that as we get to the end of this book. So we've got all these things going on. It's a book that affirms a faltering faith. It's a book that deals with the gnawing questions of why there's pain in this life. It's not simply literature. This book is life. There's no book that deals with life as intricately, maybe, as the book of Job. Because when life's going well for us, we're happy people. When life's not going well... We often wonder, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Why did God allow this in my life? And we're going to see how God works in this book in, in a very, very different way than what we, may want to, what we may normally think about. And finally, as we think about Job and everything going on here, Job challenges the tradition assumptions that our candid observations and our honest questions of an honest faith demand honest answers. Sometimes we think if we take a question to God and we ask him, God is obligated to answer us. God's given us all the answers we need. Besides that, he's not obligated to do anything because of who he is. The result in all of this, we ought to have a, willing, a, spirit, a spirit willing to submit to God, even though we may not understand. We're supposed to submit to a sovereign, providential God who's unfailingly good, even when it may not look like it. Where are you? We're going to look at that in the coming weeks as we get into this book. I hope you'll take the time to read it. This is probably the shortest message you're going to get from Job, so I hope you don't expect it every week. But get into the book, read it, find out what it says, bring your questions and see how God works to teach us how life is supposed to happen for Christians who put their faith and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the fact that here we have a book that, though it's not an easy book to master, Though it's not a short book to run through, yet it's a book that is going to reveal to us the character of God in so many ways. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to get into this book even this week, to search it, to search our hearts, to find out where our thinking may be in the same place as Job or some of his friends. And God, I pray that you'll use this book to change our hearts and lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.